I lost all control. Several years ago, I found myself really trying to watch what I ate. Counting calories and all of that. Really trying to be careful and conscientious about uh, my food choices. And after several weeks of that, I was just hungry. And uh, one day... Uh, the kids wanted to go to McDonald's, so we went to McDonald's. I found myself ordering. I was looking at the menu trying to figure out something somewhat healthy to eat, and I, and, I, and I heard the words coming out of my mouth that I wanted a bacon cheeseburger. <laughs> with fries. And an apple pie. And the lady behind the counter said, we've got a two-for-one deal on apple pies right now. I said, okay, give me two. <laughs> and just for a few moments there, I just lost control. I mean, I just ate all that stuff. And I'll never forget, a little later on that day, I, I got on the treadmill. And I was going to try to run a few miles on the treadmill. And I just felt awful. I had no energy, no strength. I couldn't go very far at all. And the reason... I could not go very far on the treadmill is because my body was full of a bunch of junk. I didn't have the energy, the, the strength that I needed. Well, spiritually speaking, many of our lives are filled up with junk. And we wonder why we don't have the strength that we need to live the lives God has called us to live. We wonder why we are so powerless. Well, here at the beginning of the year, we're talking about advancing as a church, expanding God's kingdom, sharing the good news, touching lives, impacting our community, uh, changing our world. We're talking about advancing and moving forward. And last week we said that we've got to move forward with purpose. And today we're talking about advancing with power, being filled up with the one who empowers you to live the life that God has called you to live. Now I want you to see this in the Gospel according to Luke. Luke chapter 24 is where we were last week. Luke chapter 24, we will begin reading in verse 44. Luke chapter 24, verse 44. I want to ask you this morning if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God and let me just go on record as saying, I'm grateful for my Bible. I'm so, I just love the Word of God. I really do. Where, where would we be without our Bibles? I mean, where would we be? So we're going to read Luke chapter 24, verse 44. The Bible says, Now he, that's Jesus, said to them, that's his disciples, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city, watch this, until you are clothed with power from on high. Let's pray together. Father, we pause to recognize our need for you. 
we pause to call upon you to help us in these moments. Father, would you just move in our midst? Would you cause the Spirit of the living God to fall fresh on us? But we, wanna, we want our lives to be transformed. We want our lives to be changed. So Lord, just have your way in our midst for the glory of your name. Establish my steps in your word. And we ask and pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The gospel according to Luke tells the story of the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. We see in Luke that Jesus left heaven and came to earth. He lived a perfect life. And he went to the cross and he died on the cross for our sins. He died to take the punishment that you and I as guilty sinners deserve. Jesus took that punishment in our place. And after he died upon the cross on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave. And here in this section we see Jesus between his resurrection, he had risen from the dead, and just before he ascends to go back to sit at the right hand of his Father. And right before he ascends back to heaven, he gives his disciples some some last instructions. He gives them their marching orders. This is Luke's version of the Great Commission. And we talked about this passage last week when we looked at God's purpose for our lives. He tells them, you're to be witnesses for my name uh, of the death and burial and resurrection of Christ uh, to all the nations. And we talked about that last week. But then he says, don't go anywhere. I don't want you being my witnesses yet. You stay in the city until you get the power that you need. So I want us to think together this morning about advancing with power. And we need to consider at least three different uh, things. Number one, I want us to consider the daunting task. The daunting task. Look what the Bible says in verse 45. It says, He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and He said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name to all the nations. He lays out for them their marching orders. We dealt with this in detail last week, but He says, Listen, I want you to be my witnesses of my death on the cross and my resurrection, the good news that because I died on the cross and rose from the dead, Sinners can be saved. They can be forgiven of their sins. I want you to bear witness of that good news. And he says, bear witnesses in verse 47 to all the nations. To to all the nations. Now, that may not sound too daunting because we think about nations as geopolitical entities. There's about 196 countries in our world. So we say, well, that's no big deal. You know, just get a missionary in all 196 countries and the job's done, right? The task is over. But we need to look a little bit deeper. That word translated nations is the word in the Greek language, ethne. It's better translated peoples or uh, people groups. People that are bound together by a common language and a common culture. And when you look at people through that lens, there are over 10,000 people groups in the world. So if we're to reach every people group, every language and tribe with the gospel that's a daunting task because many of these people groups live in hard to reach places and many of them have been dominated for centuries by false religions and worldviews and so to go to these people who who have been uh, who have been led astray by false religions who are living in very difficult to reach places and and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ is very 
very difficult. Not to mention that he says, start in Jerusalem, start in your home. As we go to the nations, we want to reach our Jerusalem. We want to reach our Hernando. As we reach our Hernando, we want to reach our family, right? It's hard enough just reaching your family. Can I get an amen? And to think that we're to reach our family and reach our community and reach our state and reach our nation and reach all the people groups of the earth with the gospel, that is a daunting task. I would even say it's impossible. apart from God's help. It's impossible. So as we consider the power of God, we need to think about the daunting task. But secondly, we need to consider the divine helper. God has not left us without some help to bear witness of the good news, to share Jesus with a lost and dying world. Look what Jesus says there in verse 49. He says, Behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So you wait in Jerusalem because there's some help coming. I know the task is daunting. I know it's, it's huge, and I know it's impossible, so I'm going to send you a helper. When he sp- speaks here of the promise of the Father, of the power from on high, Jesus is speaking of the Holy Spirit. And I want to say two things about the Holy Spirit that come from this text. First of all, the Holy Spirit was promised. The Holy Spirit was promised. He says there in verse 49, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father. Now, when was the Holy Spirit promised? Well, you can go back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, He was promised. There are many passages to look at. You can look at Ezekiel. You can look at Jeremiah. But in the book of Joel, there's a very clear statement about the Holy Spirit. The Lord says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And uh, men and women will prophesy. He said, old men will dream dreams. Young men will have visions. There will be a supernatural transformation, something powerful occurring as I pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Now, here's why Joel 2 is so interesting. We see the fulfillment of that prophecy in the Bible. Over in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says the disciples were there in Jerusalem waiting for the promise of the Spirit. And at the beginning of that chapter, the Bible says that the Spirit fell upon them. Matter of fact, he manifests himself so that they saw tongues of fire resting on the different disciples' heads. And they heard the presence of the Spirit like a mighty rushing wind. And then they began to stand up and share the good news. And there are people in Jerusalem there for the Feast of Pentecost from many different nations, and something supernatural occurred. As these disciples shared the gospel, the good news, people from different languages heard it in their own language. That's supernatural. They, they, they heard the gospel. And people began to say, what is happening here? I mean, this group of fishermen and tax collectors, and th- these folks are standing up and, and, and proclaiming with power, and people's lives are being changed. What in the world is going on? And so Peter says, I'll tell you what's going on. You know what he quotes? Joel chapter 2. God said he would pour out his spirit upon all flesh, and you're seeing it happen right now. God is coming through on his promise. Matter of fact, look there with me in Acts chapter 2. Look what he says in verse 33. Acts chapter 2, verse 33. Peter here is preaching. He, he quotes... Joel 2 in verses 17 through 21. And then he says in verse 33, 
Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. Saying Jesus has poured forth the Spirit on us. That's what you're seeing happen right now. A fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. So the Holy Spirit was promised in the Old Testament and given, we see clearly, poured out upon the disciples for witness in Acts chapter 2. But also the Holy Spirit was promised by Jesus Christ himself, by Christ. Look in John chapter 14. You're close. It's right there between Luke and Acts. Look in John chapter 14, verse 16. Jesus here speaking to his disciples. Look what he says in John 14, verse 16. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is... The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not, know, does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you, will be in you. Look what Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 26. Jesus says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And you will testify also because you've been with me from the beginning. So Jesus is saying, when I ascend to the Father, when I go back to heaven, I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you the Spirit of truth, and He will, he will be in you. He will help you to, to, to be who God has called you to be. The Holy Spirit was promised by Christ. Now, I've heard this testimony from so many people through the years. I've heard people say over and over again, wait, I grew up in church. But I don't ever remember hearing a sermon about the Holy Spirit. I don't remember hearing much about Him. And, and I just kind of made this resolution within myself. As long as I'm pastoring a long viewpoint, I don't ever want somebody walking away from our church, going on to college or whatever, saying, I never heard a sermon about the Holy Spirit. And the reason I think it's important is because of the doctrine of the Trinity. See, the doctrine of the Trinity is that there is one God in essence and nature existing in three persons, co-equal, co-eternal. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what that means. It means that God the Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Son. And God the Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Father, right? So we can't just ignore him like he doesn't exist. He plays a key role in the Bible in, in believers' lives. And so we talk about the Spirit of God, the third person of the Godhead, the one who was promised by the Father, promised by Christ, the one who fell upon the disciples, empowered them to preach the gospel. But here's the second thing about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives power. He was promised, and He gives power. Look what Jesus says back in Luke 24, verse 49. Jesus says, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with, here's that word, power, dunamis, where we get the word dynamite from, until you're clothed with power from on high. So there's this connection between the promise of the Father and power for the believer's lives. And all throughout the Bible, we see the same connection between the Holy Spirit and power. So just kind of relax for a moment, relax your mind. Just let me read some verses to you that make this connection between the Holy Spirit and power, all right? Luke chapter 4, verse 14. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. When Jesus walked on earth, 
he showed us what it means to live according to the Spirit, to live according to the power of the Spirit. It says he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Acts 1.8, Jesus says to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. Acts 10.38, Peter says, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. With power. Look in, or don't look there, let me read this verse to you. Romans 15, verse 13, Paul writes, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, 4, Paul writes, My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Ephesians 3.16, Paul prays that he would grant the believers in Ephesus, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. 1 Thessalonians 1.5, Paul writes, Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in full conviction. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but one of power and of love and of discipline over and over and over again in the Bible. We see this connection between the Holy Spirit and the power that he gives. The power that he infuses in believers' lives. And so here's the, here's the issue. I read passages like that. I read Acts 2 about Joel and the Spirit being poured out upon uh, all flesh in the last days. And I'm looking at that. I'm looking at the unfolding... Um, picture of the New Testament church in the book of Acts and, and, and thousands of people getting saved and, and, and the world being turned upside down by these believers in Jesus, I'm thinking, what's different? You look at Acts, you see power everywhere. But I look at my own life, I look at our churches, and to a large degree I see powerlessness. What's the difference? What's happened? A.W. Tozer writes these convicting words. We may as well face it. The whole level of spirituality among us is low. We have measured ourselves by ourselves until the incentive to seek higher plateaus in the things of the Spirit is all but gone. We have imitated the world, sought popular favor, manufactured delights to substitute for the joy of the Lord, and produced a cheap and synthetic power to substitute for the power of the Holy Ghost. You know what he's saying there? He's saying that we have figured out a way to do church and a way to live the Christian life apart from the power of God. We figured out how to do that. And how's that working out for us? How's powerlessness working out for the church in America today? We're losing our nation. And we're making very little impact in the wider culture because we are choosing to do things in our own strength and not with real Holy Spirit power. So the issue becomes desperation. Are we desperate for the power of God in our marriages, in our homes, in our workplace, in our schools? Our relationships, are we desperate for the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can bear witness of Christ? 
and make a difference. I read a story this past week about a, a young man that works at Taco Bell. He had a crush on a young lady that worked at Taco Bell, so he kept trying to approach her. He had some romantic interest, and she kept kind of spurning his interest. And so one day there at work, he wanted, he wanted her to talk to him, so he actually handcuffed himself to this girl. And, of course, this freaked her out, right? And so they called the police, got him unhandcuffed. But he was determined, he was desperate. I want this girl to talk to me, all right? You never have to handcuff myself to her. And I don't want to judge the guy. Um, I'll be honest with you, if Claire would have spurned me in high school, I might have considered it. Okay, I might, I, 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 but anyway. Uh, I, I don't want to judge the guy, but he was desperate. He was desperate. And, and, and where has our desperation for the power of God gone? desperation for God to move in our midst, to move in our lives. See, we've lost the desperation. We don't see our need for the power, so we don't live according to any power. And so we've seen the daunting task, and we've seen the divine helper, the Holy Spirit of God. But third, I want us to think about, just for a moment, the difference the Spirit makes. When the Spirit of God begins to fill up your life and empower you, He makes a profound difference. Consider Peter. If you look there in your notes, in Luke 22, verses 54 through 62, Peter denied Christ. And shortly thereafter, he boldly proclaims Christ in Acts chapter 2. So over here you have Peter, timid. Jesus has been arrested. He's being tried. And Peter's there in the courtyard. And people come to him and say, weren't you one of the followers of Christ? No, I don't know the man. He denies him three times. The cock crows. Peter runs off and weeps bitterly. He, he denies Jesus Christ. But just weeks after that, over here we have Peter standing up, preaching a bold message. Let me show you how bold this message was. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Look what Peter says to those listening, including the religious leaders of the day. Acts 2, verse 22, Peter says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. He said, listen, you crucified him. You put him to death. God determined it all and planned it all and, and used it all, but you're the ones that put him to death. Look what he says in verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He's saying, listen, this Jesus who you crucified, who you will not believe in and follow, he's the Messiah and he's the Lord. Bold words from one that just denied him. And then look what he says in verse 40. With many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Wow! Peter stands up, preaches a bold message. 3,000 folks get saved. What's the difference between... Peter denying Jesus and Peter proclaiming Jesus. What's the difference? The difference is found at the beginning of Acts chapter 2. Where the Holy Spirit of God falls upon the disciples. And fills their lives and empowers them for service. And empowers them 
for witness. That's the difference the Spirit made in Peter's life. And the Spirit of God can make the same difference in your life too. Do you believe that? Do you believe that this coming week can look fundamentally different than last week because of the Spirit filling up your life? The Spirit makes a difference when He's in control of your life and filling up your life with power. I like what Daryl Bach says, lest we get too nervous about evangelism. By the way, that's what we're all nervous about, right? We're all nervous about evangelism. We're all nervous about sharing our faith. We all struggle with that, don't we? Actually, going public with our faith. We, we struggle. And Bach writes, lest we get too nervous about evangelism, let's remember that we do not share Jesus by ourselves. Jesus has provided His Spirit who indwells us to help us make sense of our testimony. The disciples waited for the Spirit in order to be empowered and enabled to share with conviction. To see how effective the Spirit can be, we need only contrast the Peter of the three denials with the Peter of the speeches of Acts. The greatest obstacle to our own evangelism is our fear of others' reactions and of our own capability. But the Spirit works to help us share Jesus. The Spirit works to help us share Jesus, which leads to this big question. Wait, okay, I believe what you're saying there. I want to I be empowered by the Spirit of God. How can I be clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit? That's the words Jesus used in Luke 24. Wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. How can I be clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit? Let me give you some, some thoughts here, and then we'll close down our time together. Number one, you must be born again. You must be born again. You have to be saved to have the Spirit of God in your life. The Bible teaches that when we embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior, we embrace Him by faith, we trust in Him to save us, to forgive us. At that moment of conversion, the Spirit of God, the third person of the Godhead, Romans chapter 8, comes to live on the inside of you. He comes to dwell in your life. He comes to take up residence in you. Isn't that awesome? God Himself, God Himself comes to live in your life if you're a Christ follower. That's step number one. You'll never have the power of God in your life if you don't have Jesus. You've got to embrace Him as Lord and Savior. That's the first step. Look what Peter says. Peter says this in his sermon in Acts 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter said to them, Repent and, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When you embrace Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. Look what he says next. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. So the promise of the Spirit is for anyone that receives Christ as Lord and Savior. So if you've embraced Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Spirit of God is now living on the inside of you. Whether you know it or not, whether you are aware of that or not, God himself is in you. So step number one, you must be born again. Now here's the neat thing. In Luke 24, Jesus said, wait, right? Wait. Don't be witnesses until you're clothed with power. Now, guess what? As followers of Jesus, we don't have to wait. That power is in us now, right? We just need to begin to live according to that power. We don't have to wait. We can, we, today, we can let the power of God 
fill up our lives. Tomorrow, we can let the power of God fill up our lives. We don't have to wait. If you're a Christ follower, you have all of the spirit you're ever going to have, which is all of him living in you. Secondly, how are we clothed with power from, from the Spirit of God? We've got to pursue the right purpose. Pursue the right purpose. The connection in Luke 24 between, okay, you're going to be my witnesses when you receive power. Acts 1.8, uh, after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. So there's this connection between the power of the Spirit and our purpose for living. Now last week we talked about our purpose. What God has called us to. And we said, based upon the words of Jesus in Luke 24, that our purpose is to glorify Christ with our witness and our worship. Right? That's what we said last week. So, no matter who you are, if you're a follower of Christ, your, your purpose for living is to glorify Jesus, it's all about Him, to glorify Jesus with your worship and with your witness. Talking about Him. That's, your, that's why you're here. That's why you're still here. That's your purpose for living. It's what it's all about. It's what life's all about. To glorify Christ by your worship and your witness. Whether you're a preacher or you stay at home with your kids or you're in healthcare or education or you're retired, no matter where you are in life, your purpose is to glorify Christ with your worship and your witness. That's your purpose. Now, if you want to see God's power, then you've got to pursue the right purpose. Let me say it like this. Why would God bless you if you're not aligned with Him? Why would He bless you if you're pursuing the wrong purpose? Let me illustrate. Let's just say that, that uh, you tell your child, I want you, to, uh, I want you to go clean your room. And your child says, nope, not going to do it. As a matter of fact, Instead of cleaning my room, I think, uh, Father, I'm going to climb up on the roof and jump off. Hey, and, and uh, Dad, would you give me a boost? Would you help me get to the top of the roof? Now, that's crazy, right? You wouldn't help your child get to the roof so they could jump off and hurt themselves. And by the way, they're ignoring what you've already told them to do, right? But that's what we do with God. We ignore the biblical purpose for our lives, we do our own thing, but we say, hey, God, give me a boost. As I do my own little thing over here, I ignore what you've said to me. Help me out. Bless me. Give me a boost. And the Father's saying, why would I give you a boost to go in the wrong direction? If I'm going to give you a boost, it's going to be in the right direction. So we should not expect the power of the Spirit in our lives if we are pursuing unbiblical purposes. Not going to happen. The Father's not going to do that until you align yourself with Him. Which brings me to my next point. How can we be clothed with the power of the Spirit? We've got to live Spirit-filled daily. We've got to live Spirit-filled daily. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit is in your life. He's resident in you. But the question is, is He filling your life? Is He controlling your life? Over in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul writes, don't be drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That word be filled is an imperative verb. It's a command. And it's a present tense, which means it's a, to be continual in our lives. So God expects us to continually 
be filled, be controlled by the Spirit of God who lives in us. Now, how does that happen? How do we live with the Spirit of God filling our lives? Look what it says there in your notes. We live the Spirit-filled life as we confess our sins and invite the Spirit to fully control our lives. It's just that simple. You see, when you walk around with unconfessed sin in your life, sin that you've not dealt with, it's like me running on the treadmill after eating burger and fries and apple pies. My life is filled up with junk, and I have no power. And when you have a bunch of junk in your life, you have no power. You need to confess it. Get out of your life. Lord, I want to deal with this sin. It was wrong. Would you cleanse my heart, get it out of my life, change my direction? I'm confessing this sin to you. Get the junk out of your life. And then you just ask the Spirit to control you. Holy Spirit, would you take control of my life? And then by faith, you believe he's doing just that. You, you, may, not have a, you may not have chill bumps, you may. You may not have warm fuzzies. But by faith, you know that the Spirit is controlling your life. And he begins to just impact everything about you. He guides you, he directs you, he empowers you, he leads you. So we live the Spirit-filled life as we confess our sins and invite the Spirit to fully control our lives. Now here's, here's something I really want you to get down deep into your, into your soul. One of the most unfortunate things in modern-day Christianity is that we have emphasized the once-a-week worship experience while de-emphasizing a supernatural daily walk with Christ. Let me say it again. It's a mouthful, but it's so important. One of the most unfortunate things in modern-day Christianity is that we have emphasized the once-a-week worship experience while de-emphasizing a supernatural daily walk with Christ. Worship is important that we get together and we worship. And that's, that's a powerful time, but God intends so much more for your life. He wants what you encounter on Sunday to change your life on Monday. And while we're at it, Tuesday. And why not Wednesday and Thursday? And then even Friday and Saturday. God wants you to live a supernatural life, not just have a once-a-week experience. Now, let me ask you a question. Did your life look supernatural last week? Did your life look supernatural last week? Was the power of God filling up your life evident? Did your life have impact last week? Or were you just going through the motions? God wants you to live controlled by His Spirit that you can make a difference in your day-to-day -day life. A supernatural daily walk with Christ. So you need to daily confess your sins. And daily ask the Spirit to fill your life. Daily this needs to happen so you can live supernaturally. But there's one final thing I want you to consider. How can we be clothed with power from the Holy Spirit? We must be born again. We've got to pursue the right purpose. We've got to live spirit-filled daily. But last, we've got to share Christ. Now, I want you to hear me carefully. If we're going to reach our world, we're going to engage unreached people groups that are, that are in the darkness of Buddhism or Islam or Hinduism or animism, 
We're going to engage them and get to them and share the gospel with them and see them come to faith in Christ and see churches planted among them. We're going to see that happen. If we're going to see America's trajectory changed and go in a better direction, our nation's in trouble right now. It's in trouble. If we're going to see anything change in our nation, we're going to see our community impacted. If we're going to see our families transformed, someone's going to have to open up their mouth and talk about Jesus. Right? It's just that simple. How can they hear without someone to tell them? I mean, eventually, we've got to just open up our mouth and talk about the Lord. It's got to happen. We will not change our world apart from our witness. And if you want to see God's power, begin to open up your mouth and talk about Jesus. And see what happens. We had a speaker here for our GIC, Dr. Clyde Metter. He made a statement there that really captured my heart. He said that, that we experience God just beyond the borders of our lives. In other words, as we get out of our comfort zones, that's when we experience the power of God. Listen to me. You don't need the Spirit's power to stay in your comfort zone. Do you? You can do that on your own, can't you? But when you step out of your comfort zone, when you go beyond the boundaries of your lives, where those boundaries are, and you begin to open your mouth and articulate something of the gospel, that's when you need God to show up, and that's when God will show up. So if you want to experience God, open up your mouth and articulate Jesus to a lost and dying world. That's when you'll experience God's power. Wait, I can't do that. Faith is a private matter. Show me that in the Bible. We're just shouting from the rooftops, amen? I can't do that. It might make someone uncomfortable. Would you rather them hear the truth about their eternity and how they can be saved and be a little uncomfortable? Or would you rather them be comfortable and you be good with them and they go to hell? If we're going to change the world, if we're going to experience the power of God, we've got to just open up our mouths and talk about Jesus. It's just that simple. Share Christ. Here's how John Piper says it. The power of the Spirit is unleashed in our lives when we put our confidence in the word of the cross, pray for the Spirit's help, and obey the command to go into witness. The power is latent in every believer because the gospel is believed and the Spirit is present. But, listen, the experience of that power will only come when we seek it with all our heart and open our mouth in witness. That's when you'll experience God like never before. And so let's stop trying to run the race of Christianity with our lives filled up with junk. You don't get very far. You don't have the power you need. Let's get the junk out of our lives. Let's confess our sins. And then let's ask the God himself to fill us up and take control and empower us for service and witness and see the difference the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God makes in our lives. You think about that.